Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Collaboration Podcast. I'm Snokshi. And I'm Brayden. Before we begin, please like, subscribe, and follow the show wherever you do your listening. Today, we are joined by Shayna St. Fard, a senior at Thomas Jefferson High School, currently the media director for her school newspaper. And we're also joined by Bree Davies, the host of CityCast Denver. We'll be right back with our conversation with Shayna and Bree after this brief message. Flying by the western sea, I let the sky bury me. I'm Ashley, and I want to tell you about Open Lab at Utah Record. Open Lab is a free music program for artists ages 14 to 20 who are interested in audio production, songwriting, performing, learning instruments, and collaborating with other young creatives in a safe and inclusive space. Hop in the booth to record a vocal track, learn to make beats in our Mac Lab, or join a jam session in our live room, all with the support and mentorship of professional musicians and producers. Join us Wednesdays and Fridays from 3.30 to 6.30 and Saturdays from 11 to 3 at our Youth Media Studio. Learn more at youthonrecord.org slash openlab. Shayna and Bree, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Of course. So I want to get us started with just a simple question. Um, Brie, let's start with you. Why journalism? (laughs) I don't know. Did we ever make any money in journalism? I don't think so. No. (laughs) It's changed a lot. You know, that's a good question. I think, um, so I'm 42. So I was in high school in the early 90s. And it was kind of like the height of uh, music journalism in terms of like when magazines were really king. And I was such an avid magazine reader as a kid. And I really started out, I've been writing since I was four years old. And then I think in my early teens, I realized I loved music so much I wanted to write about it. And so I started as a music journalist, basically. But I started at my school newspaper at George Washington at the Surveyor. And I did uh, music reviews, album reviews, show reviews, and then I did sort of editorial pieces on like why I thought the Spice Girls were the best thing of all time. And I had the space to do that, but that was my beginning was I wanted to write about music. And um, while it's not my focus today, it runs through everything that I do. Music is uh, the connection that I have to most of my friends, to a lot of the folks that I work with. And um, I still love reading very good music criticism. So I love folks that know how to write about music in terms of like the, its cultural importance, whatever the artist is they're talking about, or how a music scene came to be, um, things like that. But um, yeah, I would just say, I, I don't know, I, I wanted to write about music and that's why I got into journalism. That's so interesting. And it sounds like we have two high school journalists in the room. (laughs) Shayna, tell us a little bit why you chose journalism. Well, I think I started pretty young for being interested in journalism. It was probably 2016. I was in fifth grade and my mom was always listening to CPR and I hated it so much. And I was like, mom, I just want to listen to Katy Perry. Like, please, please. (laughs) And she was like, no, it's important. And my family had a long kind of history with politics, starting off with my grandpa in Haiti. And he did a lot of organizing of protests against the dictator at the time, which was Papa Doc. He was alive during the 1950s and 60s and really 
stole a lot of money from the people and didn't want to fund education for Haitians. And so my grandpa, he decided he was going to organize protests. And basically what happened is one of our family friends told my grandpa that he had made a disappearing list, which was people got on the list and they disappeared permanently. And so my grandma, my mom, who was just born there, her brother and sister all got on a plane the very next day and they immigrated to the the U.S. They went to Maine and luckily both of my grandparents were doctors so they could do residencies again and set up a pretty good life. But what we really recently found out was that he continued his activism in the United States through radio. He actually continued to contest propaganda that was being spread in Haiti. And that was a really dangerous thing to do. And I found that so interesting. And I was like, there are so many ways that media and communications hold such a powerful like meaning to people and works to free people of things that they wouldn't really be able to free themselves of otherwise. And so that's cool. Shayna, I have to ask, how old were you when you like heard about these stories? <sighs> this story was, I was about 13 years old, but police brutality was for me a, a huge factor and thing. And it all happened when Trayvon Martin, he was a boy that had Skittles in his pocket and he was shot for looking suspicious. I had to learn about that really early because my mom said that I couldn't wear my favorite black hoodie anymore. Um, and I was like, well, why is that? And she was like, well, I have to tell you about how you can look suspicious. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And I was nine and I was nine. And I was like, what does it mean to be suspicious? And she gave me an answer. She was like, it means to be black. And I was like, well, that's not very fair. We have a black president. Racism's over. Like, come on. And then she was like, oh, honey. So I started listening to CPR and the stories because I wanted to understand why I couldn't wear a black hoodie and why people like my cousins really got nervous around the police. Because I was like, no, those are the good guys. They're here to help us. And they are the good guys, but there's also a history that I had to learn that I could only learn through media. And that's how I got interested in history and a bunch of other things. And that's ultimately how I got into journalism. I think that's very interesting because stories like that are kind of where a lot of journalism kind of spirals from. So what, coming back to like kind of culture and like politics, how do you find some of these interesting stories that you have been able to address as a journalist? Oh, that's a good question. My favorite stories come from curiosity. And I think every single journalist has that little nosy piece in them. And that's truly what motivates me. I'm like, well, why did this person do this? For, for instance, there was a voting drive that went on in my school. And Thomas Jefferson is a primarily Black, African-American, and Latinx community. And I was like, there's a lot of voter disenfranchisement for the groups of color. And I knew that my history teacher was running the drive. And I was like, well, I'm close to my history teacher. I wonder if race had to do anything with this. And because I'm a person of color and a woman, I'm always looking through that perspective no matter what. And so I was like, 
let me sit down with him and just get his thoughts and pick his brain. And that's my favorite article I've ever written. And so those stories come from me thinking through different perspectives and seeing if different things correlate with each other. And I get something different than what I think I'm going to get every time. There's always depth to it. And I feel like every journalist has that curiosity. Everybody who is a journalist has that curiosity. And if you have that curiosity and you're not a journalist, you're a journalist in a different way. You're just not recording it. That is so interesting. And I, I really love how you put a personal spin on your curiosity and identify the lenses that you have to look through. Um, Brie, being the host of a... I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I feel like you should cut me out of this. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, you guys should keep... This is way more interesting to me. Like, as a listener, I would way rather hear your story. Like, I'm just saying. In the moment, if you want. I'm happy to step out and listen. Oh. No, I'm serious. I'm totally serious. Because, like, I have... That is like, I can't, I have, I just like, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm also so glad that you followed that and were like, here's, here's what I know. Here's what my experience tells me. Here's what my fan, like, just please keep going. Just do it. I would love to. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm not trying to beat, you don't need a cheerleader, obviously, but what an incredible, you're just an, and you're already an incredible storyteller. Thank you. You're doing great. I won two talent shows with a comedy story about, we were talking about this earlier about sticking a raisin up my nose. Oh, I was what? talking. I was talking about how toddlers. Uh, well, Bree and I before this, we were talking about how how gross toddlers how are. Gross toddlers are, and and how your toddler will find the grossest thing in a room. It's so true. I found raisins, and and I learned storytelling very early on through like comedy, um, and so I know how to good, do a good story. But yeah. I hate writing. Really, I'm dyslexic. Oh, the actual, like, act of writing. The actual act of writing. Give me a podcast. Oh, my God, I could talk for hours. Well, here Make we me- are. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I was like, if you don't have a podcast already yourself, you should my start sister, a podcast. My sister keeps egging me on to yes. do one. I'm like, I can't stand my voice. But I, it's I, not for yeah. you. Other people will listen to it and they'll like it because I'll tell you, it's a really, you have a very lovely voice. Thank you. It's and very it, podcasty. Yeah. Well, and you can hear your stories through you. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. the nicest way. That's what I love. So the reason that I would be quote unquote media director is because we were thinking about doing podcasts because, oh my God, people love podcasts. They eat it up because there's something so, you can't get across in words every single thing that you're trying to say. It's like, uh, talking about African-American vernacular, mm. I can say what had happened was in 17 different ways. And you're going to get a different thing every single time. I write it down once, you're going to be like, what does that even mean? But if I say, okay, so what had happened was, or what has happened was, it was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I'm in trouble versus I'm about to tell you the best gossip of your life. And you can only get that through talking. Through hearing those different intonations yes. and like how you say. Also, just side note, there's a great podcast called What It Happened Was. Oh my god. By Open Mike Eagle. If you guys it's he's he's a he's a rapper from Chicago, but he's a like sort of rap historian. Mm. And he does whole seasons with one artist or one producer. And he is he's actually an incredible interviewer. So and he ta- and you hear that because he's he also makes a uh, theme song for every season based on the person he's talking to. That's just cool. So that's just really side interesting. Side note. Well, Shay, I want to go a little bit on what you said earlier. What does storytelling mean to you? 
my uncle's the best storyteller I know. And I have read Malcolm Gladwell, and he does it good too. And there's a type of journalism I'm always drawn to, and it is the weaving and threading of different events into a feeling at the end. I don't care what the story is, as long as you get a feeling at the end. There's something so rewarding about somebody who can draw emotions from you. But I feel like storytelling and journalism, they need to be separated a little bit. I can tell a great story. I can make you want to hear more, but I'm at that point, I'm trying to elicit a reaction from you. Like if I'm, if I'm at a dinner table with people and I'm like, I want to laugh out of these people, that's great. I can tell a great story. If I'm doing journalism, that can be manipulative. I'm trying to get facts across to you and I'm trying to inform you. And so I feel like journalism can really get a bad rep if it's mixed with storytelling because good journalism can tell a story, but it has to be in a specific and more professional way. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. And Brie, maybe you can shed some more light on it because you have a lot of journalism experience. What is the line between storytelling and truth or well, I guess facts? I mean, I would disagree with you a little bit and that I think that they work really well together. It's the context and how you present mm -hmm. them to your reader or your listener and that they know what they're getting into. Um, so it's like, sure, if you're reading the front page of the Denver Post, that's going to be supposed to be, you know, it has journalistic standards and they're going to be reporting, even though it's through a reporter's perspective, that's really important to know that they're trying to report the straight facts, whatever that is. Um, and that that bias that I'm talking about is something that's really new in journalism and acknowledging the fact that even if you're trying to be an unbiased reporter, it's impossible. Yeah. Your voice, mm -hmm. your experience comes through what you're writing about. And this is the thing with crime reporting now is a lot of um, – there's these sort of new standards around um, how – how quote unquote crime is reported because a lot of times journalists will take what the police say and just use that. And that's not the whole story. So I would think that, but what I want to say back to what you're talking about is it just matters the context. So I know, so Rolling Stone magazine is old school. It It's a magazine I grew up reading. It's known for its music coverage. It's also known for its in-depth political coverage. But when you go to read a Matt Taibbi piece in Rolling Stone, say, 10, 15 years ago, you know you're going to get pages and pages of a probably a first-person narrative or at least a story, but he's weaving facts mm -hmm. into it. So it kind of depends on how you're presenting it. And it depends on what outlet you work for. So your reader is really smart enough or your listener is smart enough to know that. I think there's room for both of them, but I see what you're saying where you really have to be clear on what kind of journalism you're delivering your reader or listener so that they know that you're telling the truth, right? Yeah. So And also I, making it interesting. Yeah, because that's sometimes what – we're not going to read something that's not interesting. There's a reason true crime is like the biggest genre yeah. of all time for podcasts, right? It gets people interested. It's very, very complicated and nuanced whether or not this is a service to yeah. to the audience or the not. Ethical. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of ethical gray area there. Mm. Um, but there is a place for storytelling and journalism. It's just a matter of making sure that you present what you're doing to your reader or listener from the from the jump so they know what they're getting into. I agree. I think where I struggle with that is so it's actually my second year in newspaper. And so the first article I wrote was actually about how kids at my school were 
making hamburgers in the back of their car. And so, and it was a TJ tailgate. Um, and it was really interesting to me. And like they had grills set up in the back of their car and it was a fire hazard. And uh, admin came came down and they're like, guys, we saw smoke coming from the parking lot. What's going on? And I was like, no, this is such a good story. I already got the photos for it and I already got a burger and it was really good. Um, and I was like, hey, admin, the burgers are $1. If I give you a burger, will you just let this slide? And they're like, mm, maybe we will. And so I gave, I bribed them off with burgers. And then they were like, okay, just this is the last time it's going to happen. And so that was an interesting story for me. But I wrote it like a gossip piece because I'd, I'd seen those in magazines. And like that was the only journalism like I knew that would be able to cover something like that. I'd read journalistic pieces like the New York Times. And I'm like, okay this is less interesting. I'm going to write it like I would see in a magazine. And my teacher, Miss Adair, was like, this is good. Oh, Miss Adair's your teacher. You know Miss Adair? She's a friend of mine. Yeah. I love Miss Adair. I've spoken to her class before a long time ago. I'm in her class. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. We Sorry. just had Mark Salinger come in. Oh, yeah, awesome. From my news. Yeah, and yeah. I followed him around town. That's a different story. <laughs> uh, so you presented this to your teacher as, yeah. I, oh, want, yeah. I want to do a gossip Yeah, piece. I want to do a gossip piece. And she was like, Shana, this is running a little he said, she said. And mm. I was like, oh, what does that mean? And she was like, this is a good article, but it needs to be more objective and it needs to have less of that, like, it's like, oh, shh, feel. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but it was just like, this topic is good enough to make it into an article, but the way you are telling it is like you would tell a friend over a coffee. The way I tell stories, which is very personable, uh, kind of sounds like uh, you're talking to a friend, but doing that in an article in a more professional way, it's it's what makes a journalist good. It makes you want to like lend your ear, but you also have to make it so that it isn't gossipy. It can't seem like you are adding your opinion too much into it. It can't be an opinion piece every single time. Or if it is, it has to be subtle, well thought out and like backed up by facts, which is something that I hope to like absolutely grow on as a writer. And I think I have in the time that I've been under Miss Adair's wing because she's just absolutely the best editor and she communicates like criticism in a well thought out way. Shout out Miss Adair. Love you. Um, so yeah, storytelling and journalism. It's good. I think Malcolm Gladwell does a really good job of it. That's so funny. I can't stand him. I think he's such an I think really? he takes I think he takes abstract ideas, puts them together and convinces us that they're yeah. legit. Like the 10,000 hours thing. That's his, one of his mm -hmm. things. It's like if you practice anything for 10,000 hours, you're, you're an expert. And it's kind of like if you dig into like how that actually works, it's not really true. Like really? it's, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, but but there's a couple things I just want to comment on because I think you're hitting on two really interesting things. Again, the context, right? Mm -hmm. If you're writing, if you're Gossip Girl or you're Dumois, your, your audience is listening or reading or watching for mm -hmm. gossip. Like that was the whole premise of gossip. Yeah. Like early Gossip Girl, right? Is like, we don't know where this information's coming from, but everybody wants to hear yeah, it. Do you guys ever listen to like Normal Bridgerton. Gossip, the podcast Normal Gossip? Mm -mm. Oh, no. you should listen to it. It's people write in these stories, and it's just like you don't – they're not famous people or anything. And the host reads them, and it's just 
dishy, dirty gossip from someone else's life. You don't have to know who they are. But there's a space for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that journal there's gossip journalists that have done great work like that over the last couple of decades. Um, but the other thing, so it's context. What you're you can't just stick that in the school newspaper without this being like the shade room or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Without letting people know this is what you're getting into. But then the other thing I wanted to touch on was a great editor. If you have a great editor or a great producer, they will help you shape your work into the thing that makes it the best. A really good editor actually cuts, like, lets you say more with less. Yes. Miss Dare is always like, you just used 17 different words and then condenses it into one. And she's like, you have to work on brevity. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so boring. And she's <laughs> like, but people want information quickly, fast, and they don't want the 17 words. They want one. Mm-hmm. And we call it like the kill your darlings. So like with our podcast, with our show, when we're editing something, there might be a question that I was like, oh, I just sounded so smart on this. I love this question. <laughs> I like can't believe I came up with this question. And my mm-hmm. producer will be like, this question didn't really go anywhere. So got to get rid of it. <laughs> and you have to be able to say, kill your dart, let it go. It's gone. But mm-hmm. that's when a good team, good editor, good producer will help you make your work shine in a way that like you have to get your ego out of it essentially. Yes. It's like you were like, those 17 words are the best words I've ever written. They have to be in there. And your good editor will say, no, they're actually detracting from the story. And your reader's not getting the point that you're making that's really great. So let's cut this out. So good editors, good producers, they're key to actually producing good work. That's true. I know. Shout out to our producers in the booth. Yeah. (laughs) It's what they do. They make you sound good. Yeah. Because they're listening to you from the outside perspective. Mm -hmm. We're listening to ourselves. Well, I want to highlight what you both kind of spoke on is the power of journalism. So obviously, you both have talked about local issues. Bree, your podcast highlights local issues in Denver. I mean, your articles are like really local in high school, yet you made change in your school by writing about burgers. I I mean, that's crazy. (laughs) Like, what um, what is the power of journalism? Even highlighting local stories, where do you see the power in journalism, Bree? Uh, it's the local record. It's the record that things happened. So something, when I'm doing research on a story for my show, I'm often trying to find the digital archives from Westward, from Denver Post, from Rocky Mountain News, which went out of business in 2008. And because we're not the digital, you know, the the changeover to digital, not everything is online. Sometimes you have to go to the Western History Department, the Genealogy Department, but it's there. And that's because a journalist was there writing about it. So for me, it's it's like keeping the record of our history and our lives from journalists who are often not the people in power. They're not the people in powerful positions. Definitely, there are stronger voices. Like, I mean, we have to be realistic. Like, most journalism was done by a lot of white people for a long time. So that's going to be from one perspective. It's It's been changing and getting better. But also, if you dig further, you might find communities have their own zines. Like, the queer community has always had to have their alternative forms of journalism because the mainstream media was not presenting anything happening in their world, which is part of the city in any way. So I just see it as a public record thing, but also just like – we we have the time. It's our job to follow up and share with our communities 
what's going on and covering that stuff and and uncovering things, whether that's political corruption, whether that's, um, you know, like a, a massive movement, you a know. A new burger joint. Right, which also is interesting to people, mm-hmm. right? Like, honestly, on our show on CityCast Denver, our most popular shows are our food shows where we go <laughs> and we eat food and we talk about it. People want to know that. But they also tune in when they want to hear about the next vote that city council is making. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it serves many different purposes. And I like being able to do all those things and give them equal weight because a lot of times we're dismissed for our opinions or the things that are happening in our communities are not seen as important. But they're actu- they're absolutely important. Like your high school – that's important to this moment. And also, a journalism student in 10 years from now might be able to go back and look at your archives and be like, oh, my God, the same issue happened 10 years ago, and the city is, or the, the school is still dealing with it. The school has not changed or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, to me, it's a public record. Um, why is it important for youth voices in stories to be included in journalism? Uh, Bri, I'd love to hear from you. Because who can tell your story better? Who can talk about your generation better? How do I learn about what young people are going through or young people are experiencing or what young people like than listening from a young person's perspective? I don't want to hear from somebody my age about what teenagers are doing because we don't know. We're observing. And I also remember how important it was for me in high school to have that space to tell my stories and to have... I mean, just have the ownership over, like, we get to tell our own stories. So in the 90s, this movie came out called Kids, and it was sort of supposed to be this, like, um, semi-biographical or, like, real – it's, like – before real the reality of TV of things came out and it's it's about kids in New York City and it's really gritty and it's really rough. And I just remember reading all of this journalism from adults being like, oh, yeah, go kids. Look what they're doing in New York City. They're doing drugs, blah, blah, blah. And I was so mad because I was like, not all of us are like that. And I wrote this whole diatribe about how like kids did not represent my whole generation. And it – but it was someone's experience, but it was not all of ours. And I was frustrated that – that was being held up for, for worse, not for better or for worse, but for worse is like, this is the degradation. This is where teenagers are today. What a nightmare. Guess what? All teenagers, everybody who's a teenager, life is like complicated and we're nuanced and we're figuring ourselves out and we're finding our voices and we're we're figuring out these things. But it was so important for me as a teenager to say, I want to write about this movie about teenagers. I don't want to hear from adults about teenagers. So it's just, I think, who better to tell your stories than your peers, than you, mm-hmm. no matter what age you are. I want to hear from you and talk about your life and your experience. Mm-hmm. I think that contributes to the power of local media is you're able to highlight local voices. You're able to highlight an individual, not a group or a political party or an organization company, etc. that the national does. It's the power of local. So Shana, where do you see adults playing a role in highlighting youth voices and enabling youth voices? Mm, That's a good question. Adults are facilitators and motivators in what teens and kids are doing. I've heard from adults, it's like, wow, we like what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, I was I was just doing what I was doing. Thank you for saying that. And when I was in fifth grade, I there was a competition that was at Carson Elementary School. Shout out, Carson. And we had to write a paper on what we wanted to do in the future. And I've already said I'm not a good writer. Um, that's improve, It's improving. I, I will say I'm a good writer now. But at the time, I was not. And I wrote one page in like all bold Arial. 
if anybody saw that now, they would be like, what is this? Give yourself a break. You were in fifth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Just remember. (laughs) You're doing more than most fifth graders are doing. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. And so there was this girl at my school and she had it perfectly formatted. And I think she used good words. She was like, I want to be a doctor. And I was like, well, she's going to win, but I still want to enter this. I was like, I want to be a journalist. And I wrote about it. And I was like truly passionate about it. And then the adults all got into a room. They're like, you know, this one is written terribly, but we can feel the passion in it. And a lot of people want to be doctors. A lot of kids don't want to be journalists. The faith that the adults had in me as a person, I I basically won the contest. And I was able to study under Katie Wilcox and I covered the 2016 caucus which is like, what? And usually adults don't have that kind of faith in kids. When they do, kids surprise you. Like, I I did my own little report. I wrote a script on it. We got to film it. There was a green screen, and it totally changed my view. I was like, this is something that I can do, and it's something I want to pursue. So when adults really give over the reins and they're like, we trust you and they believe in you, that's that's the role that they have, encouragement. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but when you give a kid faith, when you have faith in a kid, they will show you something spectacular every time. I'm crying. <gasps> Don't cry. You're, so, you're <laughs> such a beautiful speaker. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. <laughs> um, so I think to, I just want to add a little bit here. Um, adults also are in control. Adults have the, the power. When we talk about the power structures, we don't always talk about age. And we have to cede that. Not only It's not ceding the control. It's giving. I try to give space. I try to get out of the way. How do you get out of the way and let young people do what they want to do while also being in the background if they need help? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's like what your teacher does, right? As your editor at your newspaper or overseeing your newspaper, She's watching you and letting you do, and then she's there. If you're like, I don't get this, or I'm stuck, or she's watching you write something and go, you're right there. You're on the cusp of this this story. Let's do this with it. And I just think that that – I think adults don't realize that sometimes. It's like we just need to we just need to get out of the way. Space is such a good word for yeah. that. You know, mm-hmm. ah, Frederick Douglass, this is, this, is that, this is that black perspective coming in. He's like – the white man gave us the freedom, and now he needs to step out of the way. And I want to touch on that and say it's not just about space, especially for white folks. It's mm-hmm. like c- ceding the power, giving, and just saying, this is not mine anymore. Mm-hmm. This needs to be everybody's. And that's a problem that we have if you look back at journalism. You see how people, how mostly white, able-bodied mostly straight presenting folks were presenting all of our stories. Mm-hmm. And and men, a lot of men, women were not treated very nicely in journalism either. But it, it's so it's even just less about getting out of the way and like how can I how can I help change the power structure so that I am not the dominant voice. Mm-hmm. Like there are plenty of white women writing in this world. Like I don't <laughs> but like where where is everybody else? How can I make it so that other folks can get into this space and that not that I'm obsolete, but like we have to, we have to make room and we have to support folks because it's like you know the what's this the saying about like the when the tide lifts all the boats versus oh the rising tide the thing. rising tide yeah. lifts all the boats like mm. it's not about just saying oh well it's yours now 
It's like, how can I help you? And also, how can I break down all this other crap that's yeah. not helping anybody or is actually holding folks back yeah. from being oh, the journalist? Right. And piggybacking off of that, do you feel like there are generational differences when approaching issues of like diversity and representation? And if so, like how? Oh, my oh, God, yeah. you guys. It's changed so much just in the last, I mean, in my lifetime. It's incredible. Like, I'm just blown away by how young people have said, like, this is not right. You're not actually diver- – I mean, it's like diversity can – You, I don't need to tell you this. Diversity is a buzzword. It's like, well, we checked a box. Why do you think Sam Sanders left NPR, you guys? <laughs> he had a primo role on a nationally syndicated network. And he was not being able to be himself. If you listen to Sam Sanders, it's been a minute, his show on NPR, and now his new show, it's called Vibe Check. It's a great podcast. You hear Sam be himself. And it's so wild because he's like, here's my podcast, and this is my platform. I'm not just conforming Sam Sanders to being in the NPR platform, which is still, as you've probably recognized as a child listening to CPR, like I have tons of friends at CPR. They're wonderful reporters. They're also working on it. It's still very white. Yeah. So it's still in that space of being a buzzword. And but I think this next generation, like your generation, is saying, we're not filling out, we're not checking your box, man. We're not just your DEI garbage. We're actually taking it and changing it and doing what we want with it instead of confining ourselves to what you think a black reporter should be. Audie Cornish talks a lot about this, where she, I heard her on uh, Kara Swisher's podcast where she said, she was at NPR for a long time too. And she was like, there was a point in my life where my editors were saying, go on black Twitter, find out what black Twitter's talking about and write a story about it. And she was like, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to tell any story, whatever I want to tell. I don't want to just take the voices of folks that are talking to each other and are – it's just – it's it's changing so much. So believe me, it's getting better, but it's got a long way to go. It's true. There's so much more access these days to diverse perspectives. Like when we are thinking of TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all of the sites – When I was young, there were a lot of different media platforms, but all of them had the same people on them. They were all white. And I was like, that is who is going to be represented. There aren't people like me. There aren't black queer people who are women in in the world anywhere. That is different when I hop on to TikTok. When I hop on to TikTok, there are people who are neurodiverse and I was able to recognize that I had ADHD because there were black people talking about, oh, I have ADHD and it got overlooked because I am black. And I was like, wait a second, there are other people like me who feel this way. And I wasn't able to get a diagnosis, even though I very clearly show a lot of the signs, because black people are less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. And I didn't find that in a New York Times article. Of course, I fact-checked myself by looking it up and, oh yeah, I am a lot less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD because I am Black. But I found that out by having Black people on different platforms be able to tell me that. And a lot of times, this might be a generalization, a lot of platforms are scared to talk about race. But it's something that impacts us every single day. You know who's not afraid to talk about race? People of color. Because every single day they're like, 
of course race impacts my day. And white people are, they, uh, there's a lot of white guilt and white fragility. And they're like, well, I didn't do it, but I still feel bad. And I'm like, it's okay. Just acknowledge it though. And also listen to black people when they're saying something. To be an ally, a white ally, is to not only acknowledge, it's to care about what people of color and what basically oppressed groups are going through. And covering those stories is important. When I mention in the like brainstorming groups at school, who wants to cover the BSA? Who wants to cover what BSA is doing? It's Black History Month, who wants to do it? I'm the only black person in journalism. Everybody is so afraid. They get like physically like, I don't want to cover that because what if I say something wrong or I get canceled? And it's like, no, you're not going to get canceled. You have to educate yourself on these things. And everyone's like, well, Shayna, why don't you do it like you're black? And I'm like, that's the point. I mean, of course I could do this well, but it's it's also I, I don't want to be forced to do something because I am black. And I think a lot of people, regardless of color, have to get more comfortable with listening to groups of color and then understanding or trying to understand. Because if you ask a person of color about race, they'll talk to you about it, but there's a lot of fear there. And so diversity is really important in journalism and local media and everywhere because you're going to learn something every single time. It's also not your burden to have to do it. Like yeah. I think about – I wish I could remember this writer's name, but she said, I wish I could be asked to be on a panel to speak about skateboarding or witchcraft instead of being black. Because mm -hmm. like I don't – that I have other areas of expertise and interest and like it shouldn't just be, well, this is a black issue, Shana, so you have to talk about it. Like yeah. no, how you do some of that work, mm -hmm. you know? It's, I already know. It's like, I already know. So this isn't going to be a real productive use of my time. And I feel like for Muslim Student Alliance, I'm I'm not Muslim. And I'm like, oh, my God, that would actually be kind of fun to, like, learn about. And, and it's people's kind of lack of curiosity that sometimes gets me a little frustrated because I'm like, why don't you care? Why, like, why aren't you showing that same curiosity that you show for a story about burgers to <laughs> groups that you don't know anything about. It's like, you're a journalist. Go learn about black people. Come on. That's <laughs> the tagline of this episode. You're a journalist. Go learn about black people. Absolutely. Um, I just want to say, too, on the allyship thing, it is really easy to perform allyship. It's very different to challenge the power structures that impact the people that you're you're actually an ally too. I'm. I am not queer myself. My most of my friend group and my life has been centered around queer life, queer art, and so. But I, I don't even know if I'd call myself an ally. But that's the work that I've done for a long time is alongside queer folks and like getting into rooms as a straight person and then bringing up something and saying something. But it also means sometimes I'm not supposed to be in the room, and allies, that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes you need to give folks their space that's not for you. Yeah. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us in today's conversation. Um, it's been so great to hear each of your stories and journalism and your experience with that. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so thanks. nice to be here. This was lovely. 
To learn more about Shayna and her work with the TJ Journal News, visit the Thomas Jefferson High School website. And to learn more about Bree, visit citycast.fm forward slash Denver. Thank you again for listening to Generation Collaboration. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode of Generation Collaboration was engineered by Devante Parker. Generation Collaboration is produced by David Layden and Lauren Steve Pack. Our theme song, Find It, was recorded at Youth on Record by Esme Patterson and members of the Youth on Record community. Generation Collaboration is a co-production of Colorado Young Leaders and Youth on Record. Learn more about Colorado Young Leaders at coloradoyoungleaders.org or on Instagram and TikTok at coyoungleaders. You can learn more about Youth on Record at youthonrecord.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Youth on Record. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again next month here on Generation Collaboration.